The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. If everybody's ready to get in a little early, we can get started a couple of minutes early. I guess we should wait still a few minutes. We can stay here in the lobby before we get started into the, the storyline proper. Uh, hello, Florent. Thanks for joining the room. I'm excited to have everybody here. Uh, Julia said, tell us, tell us. About my go, terrible want, or toxic yes, relationships. Yes, they want to know about the toxic relationships. Oh, I say gotta, don't you worry. I say you got to save that for the live stream. Exactly. If you've got points to make, yeah. we got to save those for the live stream specifically. Jesus. Folks. Yeah. And <laughs> if you've got, yeah, if you've got one, you need to unpack in the comments. Um, please do. Thanks for the hearts, Julia. Yes. Thank you, Julia. Uh, hi, Liz. How are you? Oh, hello. Good. How are you? And Kelly, thank you for joining us. Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm so glad to have you both, uh, here tonight. And um, thanks to everybody for, for hanging out in the audience as well. We're going to start the live stream proper in just a few minutes. Uh, hello, say, uh, is it Sade 30? Say 30. Uh, Ava, hello, Ava. Rose Magpie. We're excited to have you all with us. Gertrude and Florent, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We're going to be talking about toxic relationships, interview with the vampire specifically, uh, fandom at large, and then uh, also how those toxic relationships play so well into the storylines uh, like the very ones that you can interact with and make your own here on Dorian. So um, that's the conversation for tonight. And I do want to wait just a few more minutes. It's technically, uh, hi, Ayana, you just joined. Thanks for, for joining us tonight. Ashley and I, again, were, were way early. We pulled Liz and uh, Kelly in, I think, earlier than they normally would have gone just because we're all like, we're antsy. We're ready to go. I got I saw everyone joining, and I was like, I got to join. So did oh, I. my gosh. What's going on? Are you going to miss the conversation? <laughs> right? There would be no fiction without toxic relationships, Julia says, and Ayana <laughs> says the same. I, I think that's largely true. Here's something that I want us to all be thinking about even before we get started properly. Uh, Ava says, she, I was in two toxic relationships. Honey, weren't we all? Oh, I Honestly, I've, I tend to think... Almost all of our relationships are toxic, except our final relationship, right? Because that's, like, in one way or another, that's the reason they all end, right? They were both mean, boys. Ava says they were both boys, the toxic by, relationships. By final relationship, you mean, like, death? Well, I mean, like, the one that you end on, right? Like, the one that lasts. <laughs> really? the one that, the one that yourself, ends. right? Listen, I, it's so funny. So, <laughs> yes. my, I am... That's I am, probably I am, my most toxic relationship. <laughs> I am remarried. Uh, I was married as a very young man. We got we were married for like seven years. We divorced, and then I've I've since remarried again. And like former wife is easy enough to say, and that's like obvious. Of my ex wife, former wife, something like that, very clear. It has often sh struck me though, like what do I call this? How do I refer to this marriage? Right, like my current partner or my current wife is the one that seems like most natural but kelly pointed out to me one day my kelly pointed out that that seems awfully transitory or like we're about to go somewhere else right <laughs> there's there's another one on the way so final wife is what i started saying but that does sound like sort of i'm gonna knock her off or i expect her to knock me off or something right right that's the final boss i like that i like that you don't call her you don't call your first wife your practice wife I had a starter marriage. Yeah, I had a starter marriage. Got divorced at 34, and now I feel like super powerful. Like I leveled up. Like all of a sudden, kind of uh, caring less about what uh, the next one looked like, you know? 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I got definitely leveled up. So it's less about attractiveness and more about everything else. Right. So the question that I had on my mind a minute ago, and this is where I wanted to start is where, what, what is toxic the right word, right? Because if it was just toxic, here's the thing that, that keeps striking me. If it was just toxic, that kills us, right? That, that is poison and then it's over and, and nothing goes from that. And yet these relationships that we're talking about specifically with Lestat and Louis in interview with the vampire as the primary example that, that we're going to discuss tonight. Um, there's something clearly there for the characters themselves, but also us as viewers, right? That isn't just the toxicity. Yes, they're bad for each other. Yes, they bring out each other's negative tendencies or, or whatever you might want to say as far as that goes. But also, there's something wonderful and positive about that relationship. So I think we need a new word. That's something I want to work on overall tonight oh, as we get started. Who not wanting to admit how bad of a relationship this one is. Shush, Between shush, our- I don't hear you. I don't. I think it's time to start the live stream. Ladies, are you ready? Do you are we? Do you do we want to go? People can join as we go. All right, let's get started here officially. I've been preparing for this for over a year, so let's. Do All right, it. awesome, <laughs> awesome. Um, our life's work. So, yeah. <laughs> hi, everybody, and don't feel bad if you come in. I, I don't know why I'm saying this now because if you come in in the middle of the thing, you're not hearing me now, are you? Anyway. Welcome to the second week of Dorian's interview with the Vampire Discussion Club series. We are so excited to have you all join in and have some fun with us tonight. We've got a great panel, a group of panelists that we're going to get to in a minute. Interview with the Vampire, the series on AMC has included a lot of interesting themes that have garnered quite a bit of conversation. And we can't wait to explore those themes with you today. Toxic relationships is what we're talking about, folks. Um, and there's my, my boy, Lestat. As Ashley alluded to earlier, maybe some of my um, lack of desire to call these toxic is because I love Lestat so much. I love Louis uh, and Lestat together. And I don't think that they're, I think, listen, the show loves them too. I think they're going someplace. So I think there's something to it. The thing is, is that toxic isn't all just, there's a reason why we, you stay in toxic relationships. You're getting something out of it. It's not all negative, you know, like you get something out of it. And so, I know you hesitate so much to to um, call Lustat out as being an unhealthy relationship, and um, but I think we have to acknowledge that at the very least it is quite toxic. Very toxic. unhealthy. I think I'll I'll absolutely go with unhealthy. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go here. Let's see. Let's let's introduce our panelists. Ashley, my co-host from the Articulate Coven. Ashley, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, I am, um, my name is Ashley Wright Eiler. I live in Little Rock, Arkansas is where I'm based. And I podcast with Joel about vampires, sexy vampires and witches. Um, And my nine to five, I work in IT. I do improv comedy and um, I do a little stand up too. So that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And also she's like the best co-host ever. I'm so lucky to have her. Uh, And then there's me. I love you. Thank you. Mwah, 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 mwah. Uh, I'm the other co-host for the Articulate Coven uh, podcast about Anne Rice, uh, her books and her life, her works, uh, specifically about the IWTV series from AMC. <coughs> We're going to be covering the Mayfair series in uh, just a couple of 
weeks now. That is so terrifying to say. Time just marches, doesn't it? But yes, it January does. 8th, I think, is the drop of the Mayfair series. And uh, we're going to be talking about that series as well. Um, I'm a podcast producer and consultant in my day job. Uh, dad, husband, uh, regular cool dude, and vampire aficionado. Uh, next is Liz. Liz, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Liz. Um, I am the uh, the Dorian uh, of the crowd today. I am head of strategic partnerships at Dorian, um, which means I got to have the extremely fun job of leading the interview with the vampire um, and upcoming Mayfair Witches, as you mentioned, Joel. Um, project for Dorian. I work with our external partners to bring um, to bring great experiences onto Dorian for our community. Um, I got to collaborate on AMC, getting all of the art and the fun outfits that you're seeing on uh, screen today. And I also got to get a sneak peek, an early sneak peek at the series, which was fantastic. So um, I've been hanging on to these spoilers for months. So it's a thrill to be able to gap about them uh, freely with you all today. Um, I live in Pittsburgh very recently. I'm still getting used to it. I consider myself a, a New York gal. I, I was there up until a couple months ago, but I am here with my partner who is a, um, a sociology professor at Pitt. So together we, we, uh, we get to uh, dish on all, on all these toxic tendencies from our uh, specific viewpoints. Um, so that's me. I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you, Julia, for the hearts there in the middle of that as well. Uh, Kelly, uh, Kelly Storm. Thank you for joining us tonight. Tell everybody a little bit about that outfit, by the way, is like right. really something. Well, let me look. Tell everybody about Oh, uh, Lord. Like, I would never <laughs> wear that, but that was damn good. Fashion. <laughs> um, Tell everybody who I, you are, Kelly. Yes, I'm Kelly. I'm from Pittsburgh. I live in South Florida now, went to Penn State, graduated with a bachelor's in corporate communications. And then I went back to school because I love psychology and studied in negotiation. <laughs> learned all about dark trauma and, and you know psychopaths and narcissism and so here i am ready to do this and then i started working for dorian or writing sorry writing for dorian over a year ago and everything <laughs> i'm pretty sure all of my stories have some toxicity in them lots of red flags <laughs> but we love those <laughs> here well, thank you for joining us, and we're excited to uh, to have this conversation with you tonight. Um, now that we've all gotten to know each other a little bit, let's let's jump into the conversation. O'Neill, thanks for joining us. Okay. Our first question tonight: How do you define a toxic relationship? So, I guess this is my question, right? Like, it, are all toxic relationships the same? Uh, Louis and Lestat specifically. Obviously, a lot of negativity, obviously, a lot of wrong. They're two broken men as they come into the relationship that couldn't do a lot for each other you know, from the get go, but book readers know where this thing goes. The show has said they're going to follow the same thing. Clearly this relationship eventually will be a good thing that we're supposed to all root for. So how do you define a toxic relationship? Ashley, why don't you kick us off? Oh, I mean, I think, I think there's in, in every toxic relationship, there is uh, a, a power dynamic issue. Um, usually I feel like one person has way more power in the relationship than the other usually. That's in my experience, in my personal toxic experience. Um, and it's usually the person who has the most, you know, it's the person who's who drives the emotional temperature of the relationship is kind of who that tends to be. Um, I do think there is in, in a toxic relationship, you toxic traits 
um, not not necessarily our best qualities from from both sides come out. Um, I think usually you bring out bad, you know, bad bad qualities in each other. You know, um, a lot of gaslighting in my personal toxic relationships. Um, I've been cheated on in so many different states. Um, yeah, so I think that dishonesty has to be there. Um, uh, manipulation a little bit, you know, and I think that a, a, a big part of it to, to make it toxic is that give and take, like everybody, everybody's effing up, you know, everybody's kind of messing up in their relationship. You're both kind of assholes at times. You're both kind of assholes at times, I think, is the title of today's episode. I mean, um, and, and I mean, you get, it gets deeper. That. Yes, like, it gets <laughs> deeper when you get into, like, actual uh, abuse. Um, and I think that's a little bit of a different situation when we're talking about that. And obviously, in, in these conversations, in no way, form, or fashion are we making light of real-life dangerous relationships. And um, and I think that that has to be something we have to remember when we're exploring these relationships and making sure that at least there's some um, honesty and some truth in, in how they're shown. Boy, that is so perfect to segue, Ashley, for our next panelist to come in here. Kelly, talk about that a little bit because like, okay, here, I want to use a personal example. I really like the, can the character of Hannibal Lecter. And in particular, when I finally got around to watching the NBC adaptation, the Hannibal and Will Graham relationship in that uh, show is really brought to the forefront, very sexualized, very romanticized, uh, even through violence to one another again and again. The whole time I'm watching the show, now I think it was like a chicken and the egg situation, but my wife asked me several times, she's like, do you think this show is good for you? You seem to be in kind of a dark place. I think I was kind of like in a little bit of a depression while I'm watching the show. Hannibal just You're in a to toxic ways, relationship was, with the show. Right, I'm in a toxic with relationship the with the show. But, but Kelly, how, when you're writing stories specifically, how do you walk that fine line of like, I want to highlight these things. I don't want to like glorify toxicity, right? How does that work as a creator? <sighs> well, <laughs> I like the heavy I, side. <laughs> I, I'm trying. Okay, so I wrote Seducing the Bad Boy. And everyone knows Dan. Whoever's read my stories knows who Dan is. He's like, he's the main character's boyfriend. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. Um, he is basically a misogynistic person. Like, he makes her do everything. And so in that story alone, he didn't walk that fine line. All right? He was just made for you to hate him. So I feel like that is... I, I love characters like that, but you're talking about the fine line. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. The, seducing the psychopath. That was a fine line because he was like, I'm going to make you fall for me. And giving her like, this is how it's going to be. You need to do it my way, la, 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 la. But she was all for it because he was attractive. He had the tattoos. Like he was a basic red flag we all love to love. Like – it's 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 very it's very hard and you kind of it's it's hard because you constantly have to think about the reader and their sensitivities in certain aspects like yes there's sorry julia and jess but there's knife play you know so you have to like think of those things and it's just uh it's 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 mental but it's like a game in your head i know that sounds nuts but you no. know you have, to have like a semi no. 
amount of gaslighting, but just enough to push back and she has to push back and you'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. It's when that happens in real life, you're like, F this. Like, I can't do this. But when it's in a story, you're like, oh, I love this man. He's like giving me some pushback. Meanwhile, well, that's what- in real life, I'll slap you. I won't. Rose, Rose said that in the, uh, actually in the comments, I'm like pointing at it. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Rose Scarlett See, it's right here. said, toxicity can actually work weirdly enough for a writing standpoint, but in real life, that's a place you don't want to find yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good point. It's not something we want in our real relationships, but it's something we don't necessarily mind in our sexy vampires, you know? Yep. Exactly. I, I think it comes down to, we want this, uh, sort of thing played out in a in a safe space, which is this creative world, these fictional universes or stories, so that we and we can even amplify it, right? The toxicity that we feel in our own lives or we've experienced in our own lives, we take that and amplify it. And instead of just uh, manipulative, they're you know like actually like orchestrating world events around us or controlling our lives entirely, or they're a supernatural vampire that can uh, drag us by the throat and then throw us into the air and drop us from a thousand feet, et cetera, et cetera. So we amplify that. We play it out in a fictional space. We can respond to it and react to it, uh, see how we feel, try those emotions on, work through and process it. Again, all in a safe space away from reality. I do think, though, it's something we need to be aware of in ourselves as we interact with these stories whether we're capable of doing that without being impressed or uh, influenced by them to live in a negative headspace, you know, in our own daily life. Um, Liz, go ahead. Yes, no. Also, you have to consider character development. Like, Mm -hmm. that's where I find myself in everyday life dealing with toxic people. I'm, I'm so used to my character development writing stories. Like, when is my character outside in the world gonna develop? So you eventually get your happy ending, because I always write happy endings. So when is the realistic happy ending gonna happen? So it's kind of like waiting game. So you're mentally fucking yourself and it's the waiting game. When do I get my happy ending kind of deal? You know, maybe Uh, was waiting for his happy ending. Thank you all for the hearts there. There's a rash of them there. Uh, Fried pies and moonshine in the comments. Um, Best username, by the way. Right, that's a good one. What do you think is appealing to readers about seeing toxicity in fiction? Is it just like craning your neck at a car crash or is there something more complex? I absolutely think it's that more complex. I think there is, there is an both. aspect that's just craning, right? Because <laughs> you want to know if the neighbors have drama, you want to know about it and you gossip with you know, your neighbor or you hear your, from your mom what happened in your hometown from so-and-so, et cetera, et cetera. You're interested in that sort of thing. But also... I do think there's more about where we're working out those things for ourselves. Our own experiences removed. It's just like riding roller coasters, right? We don't actually want to be in a car crash, but we want to have the experience of thrills and, and drops and scares, et cetera, et cetera, removed from real life so that we can have those emotions and experience some sort of like, it's training wheels for, for when a parent dies or you have a bad breakup yeah. or whatever. Um, Liz, I'm going to take a slightly different tack. I want to ask you about this. I just thought this is so perfect because of your specific job at Dorian. Let's talk about toxic relationships from a business perspective. In, in my world, I think about the client that comes to you with just like a gob of money. They just got that hot money to spend and you want to take their money but you like, you know, there's going to be 15 million revisions and they're, and the content's not good to begin with. 
and they're not ethically aligned with your morals or ideas or, or you know, philosophy, et cetera, et cetera, in the world. And you're like, why am I doing this? But the check's cash, right? Liz, what, <laughs> how do we, how do we, how do we, um, how, how do we go through those relationships? How do we figure that out? And how do we um, decide when something is toxic for us from a business relationship standpoint? That's, that's a really interesting analogy. And it, you know, it allows you to kind of step back and really take a more, a little bit more of an objective and maybe less emotionally charged because you can kind of step into your business persona and step out of it. But you know, less emotionally charged, look at how we can kind of like progress from being tempted by toxicity and then, you know, learn and develop instincts as we go and kind of start to understand, you know, you know, return over investment, <laughs> get a little, uh, get a little right. in those terms. Like if I put this in, what am I going to get out of it? Um, this might seem like an easy, fast thing that will make my boss happy. I'm not speaking about Dorian, by the way, this, I'm thinking about me as a young 20 something assistant at William Morris, trying to, <laughs> trying to, trying to catch a deal. Um, and you know, not really understanding the work that would go into it or understanding, um, that it does matter that, you know, if my instincts and early emails are feeling like, you know, maybe it's a little short or they're trying to just get to close the deal really fast um, and trying to take things as signs of kind of, you know, recognizing that I am a person with power and, and, and can respond and can, you know, disturb the universe, as they say. And, um, and I don't have to kind of like passively accept just because I'm less experienced in my job, um, you know, offers that are being made that might not feel right. And, um, and yeah, and developing trust in colleagues that you can go to for advice. Um, Ooh, yeah. There's a lot of strategy involved in business. Um, and it's sort of like, it's sort of like, doesn't feel right to talk about strategy with more emotional or, you know, interpersonal relationships, but you know, it's still there. And I feel like the more toxic it is, maybe the more strategy on those interpersonal levels. Um, but yeah, I think for, for my, you know, speaking personally, it all comes down to developing instincts. Um, and you know, if someone, if, if I'm approached with, um, something that, feels like it will take uh, a lot of work to get to um, top-notch. I have an editorial background, um, but I'm going to have to put in so much effort getting the other person just to, to get to, be to benchmark. Um, that's like a less interesting project to me than someone who's coming in um, ready to collaborate and like listen to critics, uh, you know, critiques and, and feedback and make changes so that we can work towards a common goal. Right. Um, versus that kind of like, you know, fighting and, and one person kind of pulling more of the weight. Um, but it, you know, t it takes, you know, a while to get to that, uh, to a place where you have those instincts to protect yourself and, and understand what your goal is and how to work towards it. Uh, Rose Scarlett just mentioned in the chat that she joined this kind of accidentally. She got a notification about something else, but she's kind of enjoying herself. Uh, she's a little <laughs> bit younger than the rest of us, I think, too. Rose, we're so glad that you're here. And honestly, if you haven't watched the Interview with the Vampire um, uh, series on AMC, I got to recommend it. Like, not just to awesome. do a podcast about it. But it is really fantastic television. Yeah. And there's some great artwork here. All of the artwork that you're seeing, by the way, is uh, sort of derived from, designed from, the uh, AMC show itself. That was the partnership with Dorian here that we're all kind of a part of. The questions on the screen, by the way, let's get back to the topic a little bit. Let me circle back. I, I went far afield there. Ayana liked it, so I'm glad somebody did. Um, are Louis and Lestat a toxic relationship? Put your vote in uh, if uh, you're ready. And I'm going to put mine in just a couple of minutes. And when I do, that will be a, uh, a timer countdown. So if you'd like to vote, please do so now. 
Um, I think they're absolutely a toxic relationship. The series by Brandon on Dorian is fantastic. Uh, Julia it's mentioned that's so right. Good. I forgot. Yeah, it's so we so mentioned good. that last week. Yeah, we, you played through the first chapter. The second chapter is out now. That, that's going to be continuing for, I think, Brandon, it's six weeks. Can I just uh, say All this? the way up to Mayfair. Yeah. Yes, please. This is very, Dorian is so new to me and Joel. We're just like, this is new to us. And um, I'm, so, I'm having so much fun on the app exploring and, and enjoying people's stories. Um, and I got into uh, Brandon's finally and was running through it. And it is so much fun. It's such a cool experience. I love like this choose your own adventure edge to it. It's so freaking awesome. It's so much fun. I just really wanted to, um, to just compliment everyone on their awesome work. And, 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 you know, for those of you out there that are creating, thank you. What great, what a great, enjoyable fun time for everyone that gets to be on here and participate absolutely well said ashley and thank you ayana for the hearts ayana is one of yes, those people. thank you ayana <laughs> ayana is one of those people ashley's talking about um who uh, developed this amazing series for us yeah really great work ayana is who pulled us in as well and connected us and so this has been this has all been very exciting and fun um rose so you're in the right place regardless whether you're yeah you know about you're interview welcome. with the vampire or not um if someone close to you was in a relationship you deemed toxic would you tell them is the question on screen so i think this one's a no-brainer i think the the better question is how do you tell them how do you approach the subject particularly knowing that uh you know it's easy enough if you come hard with that toxic, that's relationships bad for you. You got to get out of it, and they stay. Well, you might have lost that friend. You might have disconnected that relationship at all. So, um, how do you approach somebody if you if you believe that they're in a toxic relationship? Well, I can tell you the way not to approach it is to tell them, like two or three years after they got out of it, that everyone knew how horrible it was. Mm. That isn't helpful. I remember that being like, I remember getting out of my really bad relationship and it took me a while to get out of it. But once I was finally out of it and, and the guy and I had very, had all mutual friends. I mean, we went to the same undergrad and obviously, you know, we spent all this time around all the same people. So it was like I had shit my pants and didn't know it and no one told me, you know, and that was awful. I can't think of any other way to put it. Um, so I think when you're in a toxic relationship, you're pretty aware of it. Like you have to be pretty oblivious to not know that it's not good, you know? Um, and I think that maybe sharing your personal ex experiences might be a good way to start if you're having a hard conversation with a friend. And this is, of course, like I said, a different conversation than if you've got a friend in a domestic violence situation. Um, Obviously, that right. If anyone's in danger, out, right. right? That requires outside resources and things like that, so you can safely help your friend. Um, but if it's just you're dating a real piece of shit, and you guys bring out the absolute worst in each other, you know, I think it, you just, you know, you it has to be a friend that you're close enough to to have those conversations with, um, and to let them know that they're not the first one, nor are they the last one that will be in that kind of shitty relationship. Yeah, I, yeah I think, absolutely. And I Go think ahead. like slapping a label on it too it's like you know once you give it a name people can be like well i'm not that like i might like we might like fight all the time and like we're slamming doors and like i'm unhappy all the time but it's not toxic you know and I, so i think like 
you know, it's the kind of thing like uh, if you want to get someone to listen to you, you, you know, who's annoying you, you don't say you're annoying. You say like, how can I get this person? How can I get on the level of this person and, and you know, open them up and, and get to a place of peace? So I think I think it is more like, um, you know, asking them what's going on and maybe trying to like, you know, get them to kind of see in whatever ways you can poke around, like the, the things that you're seeing and, um, you know, just let them know that there, there's an ear. Cause I think, you know, in your example, Ashley, like if someone, if people aren't telling you that they don't notice something's wrong, you might think, well, maybe I'm the crazy one. Like right. I just need to like fix myself and, and realize that this is fine. So, um, you know, I certainly, I think it's helpful to just, you know, open up those channels of communication so that they know they're not crazy. <laughs> they're not alone. Yeah, especially if gaslighting is involved in the toxicity. Like you mm -hmm. do feel like am I I'm I must be the only one who feels this way. I'm effing crazy, you know? Like I think especially when there's when there's gaslighting involved, it, it, you it's it's a little bit more delicate cuz you do feel nuts. Isolated. Like and and isolated and completely not yourself. I think that, that was a big thing. Like I'm a huge nerd. I love Star Wars. I when I dated this guy, I didn't watch. I didn't watch Star Wars for like three years. Like I watch yeah. Star Wars once a month. <laughs> you know, like I just think about all the things that were so outside of my character. I mean, red flags are flying. Uh, I think there's a great point hang on just one second there's a great point in the chat that i want to make sure that we don't miss uh, uh julia asked has anyone turned a toxic relationship into a healthy one ah here's the question to me for like the louis and lestat of it all and i guess this is the question on the board do people have the capacity to change you know is the personal growth that Louis and Lestat are, we expect, going to go through through this series, is that going to be enough to turn their relationship from toxicity to positivity? Um, or is that literally something that has to happen on their own? You can't, you can't fix the relationship. You have to go fix yourselves, and then maybe you find each other again in another life, so to speak. What do you think, Liz, Kelly? I'll let Kelly go. I think that it's, it really all comes down to a, like a science of first off, what's deal with it separately. What is your problem? Do you have like abandonment issues? Are you like, anxious attachment? What's the other person's problem? Do they have an ego problem? Do they hate being vulnerable? Like you have to figure out each of your <laughs> triggers. Then you have to fix your damn self, but you both have to be willing to fix yourself. And then you can, so Lestat should be fixing his, he has some serious issues and he is, I don't get triggered much, but he really, like, I was, I don't, I was speechless watching him, the way he treated Louis. And I can relate to Louis because I'm like that kind of passive person yeah. in a relationship. And if, if like the love of my life, quote unquote, took me up into the clouds and dropped me, I mean, I would be like, oh, okay. That's just how, I don't know. I, it's all a science and how you deal with that person and then you have to come together after you're both healed and heal your relationship because if you don't fix yourself and they don't fix yourself you cannot have a healthy relationship with each other that's it i think that's something that uh, louis and lestat have an opportunity to do that a lot of human beings do not because they have such long life you know you've got a lot of time to work out your shit I think it's more likely in our real life human relationships when you find yourself in a toxic relationship is that when you get out of it, 
you're you'll <laughs> your next relationship is less likely to turn into that you know your next several relationships are way less likely i think that that's how you grow <laughs> out of toxicity i think it's very hard to turn around and um trust you know if trust has been broken um if safety security has been damaged in any sort of way it's very hard to reverse track and go back to that i think it's much more likely that you take the lessons that you learn in that really awful toxic relationship and then carry that forward into your next relationship so that you don't find yourself in the same situation again but you said you think lestat can fix himself do you really feel that way because he seems pretty far gone to me yeah i, I think just know i know i know how much development and how much growth his character has over the course of the whole series and all of that so i've got a little bit of an insider trap joel is dying we I was just going to say, we're both also very specifically hanging our hat on the fact that the events as we've seen them play out thus far in these Unreliable narrators. Mm -hmm. Are not inherently the full truth of the events, right? right? First right. and like the biggest thing, and this was a huge deal in like the book fandom in response to episode five, specifically the events you're talking about there. The, the thing that got me was not the drop. The drop was almost like, was so over the top. I couldn't, I couldn't like re respond to that as human violence. The thing that got me was when he grabbed him by his jaw and he drug him by his, I was, that was, that was so far beyond like, Horrifying. oh, oh Lestat, Lestat would never, would never. So anyway, I, I, here's my thing though. I've listened to so much from Roland Jones, the writer, the showrunner, uh, the creator of the TV version. And not just him, but the producers and Sam Reed specifically. My trust in Sam Reed as an actor with his love for this character in the book series overall and with Rollin Jones with his love for the book series overall, I feel sure they're going somewhere. I'm still salty about episode five, though, uh, Kelly. It's not just you. That was, it was so a far beyond. I mean, and my wife, my, my Kelly is not a book reader. And so we get to the end of that episode especially, and she turns to me and she's like, you love this person for why exactly? This is your boyfriend situation. <laughs> and I live with you. Why? What's wrong with yeah. you? <laughs> what is you? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, people really like Hannibal Lecter. They're like, yeah, but they like the books. They don't like Hannibal. And I'm like, actually, I should show you some fandoms. That's it's not. That's a different. With, let's don't talk about that. Anyway, I, I I do wonder, like, can people change? Has anybody ever done this in their own life? I, personally, I have not. I've not had a relationship that. <laughs> that had this sort of like fundamental flaw, the Shakespearean flaw from the beginning that we were able to then sort of like realize and turn the tide on deus ex machina or otherwise. Has anybody ever done this in real life? Not I, you know, they, they say, they say one, one tree can't grow in another shade. Right. And, you know, I feel like, you know, I think couples therapy exists and people find uh, success with that. But I, I think that, you know, maybe that's not, necessarily a toxic relationship maybe that's two people who are learning to communicate better x y and z so not to be a pessimist i think i definitely think people have the capacity to change but i agree with kelly that it needs to come come from within and um you know i i yeah i learned in my last relationship that you cannot apply your book editor skills to to a real relationship and and you know give revision notes and expect it to to get better um you know that's it's it's up to both parties individually and usually that kind of growth happens um separately 
Speaking of apparently my own toxic relationship, I've screwed up this. My wife, I didn't mean to say this. I said my wife's not a book reader. I mean, she doesn't read this, this book series. <laughs> she, she is literate and often reads. <laughs> she is a literate person. Jesus, Joel, you're going to get in trouble. You know, in the book, in the book interview with the vampire, that's okay as an example of like, we can't trust this narration in the, the original book uh, interview with the vampire. Louis says again and again and again, that Lestat is actually illiterate and cannot read. It's one of the reasons why he needs Louis around to like literally handle his business and answer his letters. And that was obviously fabrication. Lestat clears it up in the next novel. So those are the sorts of things. I mean, now, that's Lestat obviously a smaller to thing do than throwing him off of to make him think that. Well, or I mean, do you think, think Louis just lying? Better. No, oh. I think Louis, I think Louis was straight up lying. I think Louis in the book is straight up like, oh, and let me tell oh. you another thing about my ex boyfriend. Oh, and let me tell you another thing about my. Hey, ex-boyfriend. look, he's yeah. an asshole. His ex boyfriend <laughs> is an asshole. <laughs> Couldn't even read. Um, <laughs> what an idiot! <laughs> and I think Claudia recognized at the end. You know, she kind of went into it up front, like adolescent, like I know everything. This is toxic. This is toxic. Louis can't. You know, he can't turn inward and, and realize that and acknowledge it. And then she finally learns that, you know, she he's not ready to yet. He's not ready to change. And so she kind of has to, you know, go around him. And not that that's not toxic on its own, but I think she was there standing in that objective place. Like, this is bad. I'm getting nothing out of it. I've got to right. go. And I think, too, like something that uh, with Claudia having a little bit more agency in the, in the series, I think that that gives this gives you that whole thing a little bit more weight. There's this kind of outside person that's looking at this situation like, holy fuck, you know, this cannot, I cannot be the only one that realizes how effed up this entire thing that's going around me is. Okay, but you say that, but here's an example of something else that we get from Claudia's POV that we don't get anywhere else in the series. We get more tenderness from Louis towards Lestat than we ever get in any of the scenes from from Louis's point of view. Claudia sees them being affectionate. Claudia sees Louis being lovey-dovey, which like the whole rest of the time as a Lestat stand, I'm going like, where? why would you just say you love him? Oh, um, But I mean, like Claudia sees it, which by the way, everybody answer the question I'm about to vote here. Uh, do people have the capacity to change? Um, we'll start the timer and go on and move forward a little bit. So I, I think, yes, you're right that Claudia is that third person view to show Louis how disgusting this relationship is and how wrong it is in so many ways. And yet at the same time, um, she's also there to point out that they really dig each other in a way that, that even Louis doesn't own up to. Hi, Brandon. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for joining us. What are some other, Oh, okay. This is the juicy stuff folks. Before, before we run into late in time, we're about halfway through here. What are some other famous relationships that could have been considered toxic? I saw somebody early on in the chat ask if we were going to regale the JLo Ben Affleck relationship. Um, <laughs> now, see, this is like my my wife is also a royalty fan, so she follows the, oh, the me British too. royalty. But more than that, I think she's followed Ben Affleck and JLo. This is like wish fulfillment for her. Their their return and, re- and this repair of this relationship is wish fulfillment for her in a way that. I mean, I, I don't know that I could do anything to satisfy her quite as much as that wedding taking place and, and, and that relationship joining back up. Does that count as toxic? 
I think he was just a bad guy, right? Then, at least. <laughs> I think he was going through a lot. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, at the time. And the <laughs> I mean, he has substance abuse issues. I think that he's been really pretty on the record about that. He's had gambling issues. I do think this is probably an example of, of someone, may, hopefully, working on themselves and then being mm. able to go back to someone they were, you know, with before. Uh, Amber and Johnny brought up Ooh. in the, uh, the chat there. Yeah, boy, boy, listen. What a show SNL, show. I think the funniest thing that SNL, the most real funny thing that SNL has done in probably 10 or 15 years was they did one sketch about the Amber and Johnny thing and the judge just made a point of like how happy she was that this wasn't her life as they went to a recess or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that is literally how we all feel about this, I think, more so than anything else. I am so glad that neither one of those people is me or my brother or my cousin, right? I don't have to deal with this relationship in the way that they do. It's the car I'm just crash. glad no one's ever shit in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> that you I mean, know of. <laughs> well, not while I was there, anyway. Yeah, um, I, I I was thinking about more, I was thinking a lot about a lot of fictitious ones, like, um, uh, pop culture relationships we see in pop culture. And to me, Ross and Rachel is like mm -hmm. the, a huge one. I think that's the worst couple on earth. On earth. Has ever been depicted in any type of fictitious shenanigans. What a mess those two were. I hate that they ended up together. That's right. <laughs> I do hate too. it. I do. I think she should end ended up, if she had to end up with any guy on there, I think it should have been Joey. I agree. Mm. So what I okay. said. I did. I, I totally am with you. Good. Would have made the spinoff a hell of a lot more successful too, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, who's your favorite, uh, your famous relationship, toxic relationship? Okay. This is my least favorite, but for some reason we have like 200 episodes on our DVR. Everybody loves Raymond, Ray Barone and Deborah. Oh my Deborah. god! I mean, heart palpitations, like the way he just—he's so. Oh my! I can't with him. He, I he, hate. I hate that whole <coughs> like that whole like sitcom. Oh, that whole sitcom uh, cliche of of a husband and their wife not liking each other. Like, what the hell are you doing married to each other? I'm so sick of seeing spouses and partners. Um, represented in, 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 in pop culture and literature and whatever as like not enjoying each other's fucking company. Why are you there? Not just that though, but like a total schlub loser, horrible person of a man. Mm -hmm. And, and like this funny, attractive, charismatic, generally successful in their business life too of the female partner like that's the trope to me and that goes all the way back to the honeymooners right like that's literally jackie gleason and i forgive me i don't even know alice who you know bows out to yeah. the moon but like that's that she had all the wit all the charm she was beautiful it's the flintstones right it's it's fred and wilma too like he's this goofball like maybe once a season you get one scene from him yeah. where you're like okay i guess he's kind of cute there yeah. you know right like he was a little redeeming there anyway i think that is a thing from the very foundations of television honestly and uh funny enough let's mention on amc i haven't watched it yet but have you guys seen the trailers for kevin can yes. fuck himself i think it's oh, the name of it, right? actually fantastic it takes because place it's in taking, my 
It takes place in my hometown, so really, the accents, yes. It's got my girl in it. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about this, Liz, real quick, for people who haven't seen, or if you haven't seen the trailer, you don't know about the show. I, th I got the title right. It's Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Sure, yes. Um, I believe they say Kevin can F himself, like an F-boy island type thing. And yes. I actually haven't seen the second season, so you'll have to try I haven't yet either. Okay, cool. Well, the, the premise is like they're, they're, they are kind of making um, a little, you know, sort of satire on the that kind of beautiful, um, lovely wife uh, who for some reason is with this kind of dopey schlub who is constantly messing up and they're unhappy, but she puts up with it, you know, with a smile and it's, there's a laugh track. And so that is a piece of it. And they're kind of digging, leaning really far into that trope and kind of exploiting and you know, showcasing the most um, obvious aspects of it. But then there's kind of another side of the show. She'll like walk through the kitchen door or something. The lighting will, will turn off. It'll, stop being a multi-camera thing with a live audience and it will shift to what that person in real life would would really be like if faced with this incompetent head like breaking bottles on the table and throwing shit <laughs> yeah it gets really dark and and she uh and you know it turns more into sort of the namc show as 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 we would imagine it and you know she gets into like a, a plot to get herself out of that situation which is is very intriguing um and then, yeah, and how how it kind of interweave what weaves with the the sort of comedy sitcom aspect towards the end ends up in like a really kind of cool, uh, very perfect marriage between the two genres and the finale of the first season. I thought. Um, uh, Azrian Azrian Route Root Azrian Root. I'm not sure. I hope I pronounced that right. Said it in the chat um, that that sitcom kind of trope normalizes staying in loveless relationships and settling. It also normalizes that marriage is the end of love. Which oh my god, yes, is so awful and not yep. remotely true. Thanks, boomers. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, I think we've got to go even further back. I like listen. I'm all about blaming boomers, but I think that one goes back earlier than them. Even that's like greatest generation stuff or even before that, because seriously, it goes back all the way to the very, which makes me wonder, like, honestly, Ashley, you and I are theater geeks. Like, is this like, is this like a Roman theater comedy trope? You know, that it was the schlub married to the beautiful goddess that she well, did everything I'm right and he was an idiot? It's definitely in some of Shakespeare, that kind of thing is in a little, a little bit, definitely in Shakespeare and Shakespeare comedies. You know, you definitely see that sort of thing with, uh, you know, in, in, in some of those with the relationships and the, which granted, you know, it's a little sillier and a little, a little, you know, less focused, but it's definitely there. Oh, great question from the uh, chat from O'Neill. Do you believe in evolving out of a healthy relationship or marriage? Oh, like you start okay. healthy and then it gets bad. Well, I, I think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, O'Neill, but I got the, the question of like, it's not a toxic relationship or a toxic marriage. And yet you just evolve out of it. You evolve away from each other, which, which is so funny. O'Neill, uh, he's, she said, uh, excuse me. He explains Tia Maori just divorced with her husband who shares two children is shocked everyone because of how well they work together and how, uh, they still feel, you know, like they get along with each other. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. I was on the right track. This is so interesting. They're divorcing O'Neill, this so well. Like they're doing this, it so they're, healthfully. They're consciously uncoupling, right? Like that's oh, the, that's the joke phrase from, yeah. But this ha ha literally is happening currently in my life 
to two different couple friends that, and like Kelly goes, talks to one, comes back. She goes, guess who's getting a divorce eventually. Like divorces are expensive and like they're working through it all slowly. So nobody's in a rush, but both of these couples, they're not mad. Nobody cheated on anybody. It's not, it's just like, they're like, Hey, I'm going in this direction and you're going in that direction. And we're so positive and healthy why would we put up with a marriage that's not perfect and and like we're not both pulling each other in the same direction which i mean i guess is awesome but also scary too your marriage can fail but also it can succeed so well that it has to end what <laughs> yeah it's kind of mind-boggling um but i love i love that i mean i have i have a i mean we talked about this joel um offline but i also have a, a couple friend that that split and um and had a not an acrimonious divorce at all. And, you know, we're all mutual friends and, and, and it was tough. It's tough. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's challenging, but that's also part of my responsibility as a friend and being part of being, being a part of that relationship. You know, it's part of our responsibilities to support our friends when they're going through shit like that. And especially if they're going through it in a, in a positive way, that's going to, help both of them at the end, then, you know, good, bad, or ugly, you have to be there for them. Uh, yes, no, you're absolutely right, Ashley. Ayana in the chat asks, are the Kardashians Lestat and their exes Louie or vice versa? <laughs> Ooh, I think it depends on the ex. Wow. Listen, listen, the Kardashians are the ones who sit in a mansion and have a parade of suitors come through to audition for their reality shows and their marriages. To me, that's what it looks like from the outside. So I'm going to say that Louis is the Kardashian and Lestat was the chump from the NBA that came in for two or three weeks. Uh, I, I He's not Yeezy, okay? I'm not... Lestat's not Yeezy. <laughs> is he not? Are you sure? Shush! He's not Yeezy. Is that Armand? Armand may be Yeezy. Listen, if anybody was going to have a shoe line, I guarantee yeah. you. Oh, definitely. He would have all of the context of fashion throughout the ages and come up with something really revolutionary. Oh, uh, Do you think story authors, this was from Fried, Fried Pies and Moonshine, do you think story authors have an ethical obligation to lead their characters out of toxicity or is it okay to just depict it without fixing it? Um, so this to me comes everybody we're doing okay on time i think i'm gonna go ahead and say we are we got we got 20 minutes here to go forward um this to me strikes at the very heart of a big question or division in the fandom on interview with a vampire specifically you've got a lot of book readers who you know you'll ask who's your favorite character and they might tell you it's armand or they might say it's marius or they might say it's akasha for instance and all of these characters especially the ancient ones have done like not just be which is a horrible that's domestic violence and terrible and Louis recovered for months or years or whatever it took him in the show that's all terrible these people commit genocide right destroy whole islands worth of people or create blood religions and things like that right so it's toxicity and, and evil on a on a level that is beyond anything we've seen so far in the show and yet lots of book fans will say that's my favorite character from the whole series so what is an author's, is there any ethical requirement there? Kelly, I think you're most equipped to answer this particular thing. What, what do you need to do as an author? Should you steer people away from toxic characters or relationships? Or is it just about playing it out in that fictional world like we talked about earlier? Well, I think it all depends on 
I mean, how far you want your character to grow. And I also think that if you want your, your bad boy to just still be a dick at the end, that's your prerogative as an author. So you need to have those trigger warnings like, hey, this book deals with narcissism and this and that. But also I always personally like character growth and having them kind of, I mean, setbacks are real, right? I mean, you can have a narcissistic, everyone has a little bit of narcissism. You can have a setback or something like, wow, I didn't like that side of me. It's gonna happen. But like, you kind of have to be present. And I like, I like having the characters be more present in their feelings by the end. So I think, I don't think it's an obligation to have the characters be fixed mentally. Like, that it's, it makes a show, it makes the book. It is what it is. One, one person's thing is not the other person's thing, you know, different well, strokes. And I mean, there there are there are bad guys, right? I mean, like yeah. in real life, there are people who do. I mean, I see. I hesitate to use the word. Most villain, of us right? dated everybody, them. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, and everybody comes that villainy, that villain villainy, that that bad behavior all comes from somewhere. Like we understand that psychologically, these people don't start acting this way for no reason. Nobody's just evil, but there are bad actors in real life. And we have to acknowledge that as we move through it. So I do think there's something to, to having that in our fiction as well, that occasionally there aren't. Yeah. I mean, you might give him a backstory eventually or that or her a backstory and say like, this is why they, they became this way, but also they're never going to change. Like exactly. don't romanticize it. You can't, you're not going to fix them. You're not going to love hey, them. Julia, and a, Julia just said there are no people with, there are also no people without flaws, which is yes. totally true. Like we are all toxic to someone we know. Like, it doesn't matter how great you think you are. Someone right now, somewhere, is thinking about what an asshole you've been to them at some given time or how toxic you are for them to be around or something. You are someone's asshole, I promise. Like, that's just the truth of the world. But I don't think authors owe us anything. Mm. They don't, well, it's, a, a it's writer art, doesn't right? owe me shit. You don't owe me anything as a writer. You don't owe me anything um you don't owe you don't owe me anything from your characters i will respond and react to the characters the way that i do and that's on me um i again trigger warnings and like understanding the content of what you're getting into is totally legit but a writer doesn't owe us shit a writer owes us a story and they don't even owe you that you picked it up and read it you paid them for it you know what I mean? Well, so you, you, you're there for this experience. You're there for this ride to interpret it the way you want to. I just feel really strongly about this. Like, I don't know this idea that like writers are supposed to like fix all the ills of the world when they're writing about the ills of the world. Exactly. If I want to kill off the main character, then I'm going to kill off the main character. She might be like the psycho, you know, like that. That's my thing. If you don't want to read yeah. it, read it. That's don't. it. Yeah, yeah somebody else a, is going to write something you do want to read, and that's cool. But you know, like that's the thing; nobody owes you anything. Exactly. Yeah, po popular. Sorry. Uh, Julia said, approval. "I woke up and chose violence." <laughs> I know, right? That's what I was going to say. I was going to read that. That's so absolutely true, Ashley. Your point though about 
you are someone's asshole, right? Yeah. <laughs> I somebody put it real. so well. I heard it. I heard this several months ago, and I thought this is so true, and it's so humbling when you start to try to think about it for yourself. There is someone in your life who, if your name popped up on their phone right now, oh. they would heavy sigh and it would ruin their day, whether they You're answered it or not. You're a villain. You right? are a villain to so someone. Yes. You're the villain of somebody's story. And that's re- once you wrap your mind around that, that makes it easier, I think, to understand the villains in your own life. But then also in fiction, it makes it better to 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 realize how these characters can be useful to the story or interesting for dramatic purposes, but not something to romanticize or fetishize, I guess I should say. Um, yeah. I think it's different uh, when we're adults. We're all consenting adults here reading and talking about these books and it is different like children's literature there's a little bit more of like a responsibility to creating more more you know creating good people turning these kids into good readers number one who love literature and love to read number two to teach them life lessons and make them better people and more capable and ready to be an adult but once we're all adults hell this sexy vampires are assholes and i'm here for it and no one has to change that you know like yeah. I want you to suck on my neck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, <laughs> wrong life. No, I'm with you. <laughs> not, not, not us specifically, right? Just in no. general, a, a, a neck sucking would be preferred. No, okay, okay. Might be weird. Uh, Rose Scarlet in the chat says, ironically, most of my more enticing characters are based on me. Oh. I don't think that's ironic, Rose. I think that's I think that's very natural. If you look specifically at who we're talking about here, Anne Rice with Louis, and then Lestat both. Those are self-insert characters. She wrote Louis from all of her grief and, first of all, from her struggle with Catholicism and with the questions of right, wrong, purpose, morality, etc. But then also specifically out of – she finished the novel out of the grief of, of the death of her first daughter, Michelle, uh, or her only daughter, Michelle. Her, her son, Christopher, is her, her only living child. Um, but Michelle would be like 56, 57 years old, I think, this year. She passed away when she was five years old. And of a childhood disease of some sort, I can't remember the specifics. And so, cancer. Yeah, I think it was cancer. So Louis mm-hmm. comes out of that, and then she sort of wrestles her grief to the ground after the writing of that novel and the re- release of that novel, and sort of finds a second, you know, grasp at life. I think the birth of Christopher had something to do with that, honestly. And then she finds Lestat. She finds the voice of Lestat, who is this like vibrant, exciting, grabs life by the horns and just rides it into the ground. Very much physical traits based on her husband, Stan, but the soul of Lestat, the voice of Lestat comes from Anne. And I think a lot of her his flaws come from Anne as well. So I don't think that's ironic, uh, Scarlett. Thanks for adding to the chat. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to. Oh, Kelly says I have the eye roll and heavy side person in my phone as ass cat. <laughs> nice. I love it. Uh, oh, uh, Daniel, have okay. Any? Super heavy yes, fifty two says Daniel and Armand's relationship is toxic, but do you think <clears throat> we still can see it in the show? And I totally think we will. And I do really I- want to, and I'm very excited. But I think that we're going to get to see that depicted. So I, I'm a million percent think that we're going to see a, a ongoing toxic relationship between a human and a vampire, whether that is Daniel and Armand specifically, or Daniel and one of our other characters, um, Daniel and Armand in the past, Daniel and Armand in the present. I don't know. They could go a lot of ways, 
But that story, the Devil's Minion, is the chapter by that that covers this relationship in uh, Queen of the Damned. It's really, really good. It's beloved by the fandom. Um, Ooh, and it's a that, lot. That power dynamic of you know one partner with literally with immortality. Like that's not anything that we're going to interact with ourselves in a relationship. Yeah. But it is, I think. Um, representative or a metaphor for a lot of the power dynamics that we have in our own relationships. Someone who literally holds all the keys, someone that holds all the keys financially, you know, you're in a relationship where they pay all the bills and you have a job sometimes through their insistence or, or even uh, a demand or no job at all, a job that you couldn't support yourself on or a job or or no job at all. Um, I think that that sort of thing is very much like the Daniel Armand relationship. That's done on purpose in so many instances, too. And that's an example, really good example of coercive control, um, where you there's extenuating circumstances that allow you to have more control over your partner. Um, financial is one, emotional, the emotional temperature of a relationship. Those are all examples of coercive control, where you can keep someone under your thumb. And it's done intentionally so often. You see so many... Um, a really great example that happens very often are stay-at-home moms who don't have income, haven't had income, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they get hit with like a divorce, and now they don't have any way of of being able to to defend themselves with a lawyer. They don't have money to hire a lawyer. You know what I mean? And you just find yourself very, very stuck. And it's another way to control someone. It's another way to keep someone under your thumb. And this is a very real thing. Like in England and in Europe and other places in Europe, there are, there are starting to be laws against coercive control because it is such a um, insidious thing um, that can exist in relationships across the board. Uh, yeah, that was a great question. Kelly, before I know we're getting close on time here, I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to tell us about some of your current or upcoming stories that you want to highlight yes. um, that might have a, a toxic relationship or two aboard. Oh, <laughs> yes. All right. So I'm right now I'm doing a university series and we have an enemies to lovers coming up. And he is definitely going to be gaslighting her because he, um, one of my characters right now, he is a love interest, current story, hooked on the quarterback. He is going to be basically shut down by the main character. I'm sorry, everybody who's been reading it, but Carter is no longer a love interest. So he is going to be like, hell hath no fury, like a man scorned. So the guy who actually won his girlfriend, his, his girlfriend, over is his best friend so he's gonna turn to that guy's sister so there's gonna be some toxic stuff there between brother and sister and him and the guy the other guy so there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of stuff he's very upset (laughs) that's what's coming up i'm so excited i'm so excited to uh to read some of your stories that's one of the coolest things about this whole thing for for me personally is just that it's introducing me to tons of new content creators who are smart and clever and funny and sexy and complicated and i'm so excited um to experience all of all of these stories it's one of the one of the best things that this has really kind of brought into my into my world thanks julia thank you julia 
Uh, Kelly, tell everybody what your uh, username is here so they can follow you. Make sure to follow you, and uh, that way they'll be notified about your stories. Yeah, follow me at Kelly Storm. I am everywhere. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I've written by Storm on Twitter. Like, I'm everywhere. Kelly Storm. That's where you'll find me, and you'll see all my toxic and red flags, and you'll, you'll, you know, you'll love them or, or hate them. I don't know. And here at Dorian as well. Yeah, Dorian. Kelly Storm on Dorian. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Liz, where can people follow you if they want to hear from more more from you after tonight's uh, live stream? Well, you can always follow me on Dorian. Um, I think I'm Liz T on Dorian, but I'm in this I'm in this group, so so come add me, please. Um, And I'm on Instagram at etingu. That's T I N G U E. I have a very strange Welsh last name that does not it's not spelled the way it's pronounced, but don't worry about it. Um, Infrequent. Twitter, but I'm on Twitter at, at Liz Tingyu. Uh, I think strange Welsh last, last name is the name of my next band. Yeah, um, I like it. <laughs> Unpronounceable Welsh last name. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Ashley, you and I, of course, can be found uh, at articulatecoven.com. Where else can people follow you for, for more online? Um, I'm on, I'm a, I'm a little lazy, but I'm on the tweets. Um, Wright Eiler, and that's pretty much where you can find me everywhere. Ashley Wright Eiler on Facebook, on um, on the tweeters, and on the Instagrams. Nice, nice. And uh, we're going to have uh, a couple of episodes upcoming. Uh, well, first of all, this will be released as a, a podcast episode as well for folks that weren't able to listen. So hello to the late listeners as well. But um, we'll have a couple of more episodes upcoming in the next uh, few weeks or so. We've got one coming up on the novel The, the Witching Hour. And then we'll start with our coverage of the Mayfair Witches on AMC right after that. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a behind-the-scenes episode that'll come out before the series, just like they did for Interview with the Vampire. So we'll cover that, and we'll cover week to week for the show itself when that's dropping. You can find all of that at ArticulateComing.com. If you're really into uh, in-depth discussions about the Vampire Chronicles or the show itself, you can join our uh, uh, Discord, which we just started a while back. There's links for that in the show notes for our show, ArticulateCoven.com. But they're also on Tumblr, where you can find us if you search Articulate Coven. I'm no longer on Twitter. I mean, I'm there, but it's just like retweets from Tumblr. Because... Joel's gone back in time 15 years to Tumblr, everyone. Listen, <laughs> Twitter Twitter abandoned me. So I, t- I, I didn't abandon Twitter. No. Twitter abandoned Respect. me. There you go. Respect. I'm looking forward to that. All, all, the kids are, all the kids are on Tumblr, so that seems like a hit place to be. The cool it's kids so are strange. back to Tumblr? Yeah, I think so. It's literally like it's like twenty-five year olds and then fifty year olds. It feels like it's my, it's basically <laughs> people that are a little older than me, and it's people that are far younger than me. Either way, it's cool. There's a bunch of cool folks over there. Come find us on Tumblr. Thanks to everybody who joined us for these conversations. By the way, and it's not oh. just um, our two uh, uh, discussion clubs. I want to remind you there are more coming. There are yes, two more two discussion more. clubs the next two weeks. We won't be hosting them, but that's okay. Still really good conversations. So I want you to come and uh, put those on your schedule as well. Ayana will have more details for you. They'll be posting all of those events in the um, uh, in the, the schedule for the Dorian app. So just watch for those and uh, make sure that you take part. These have been a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I think maybe we might be back here in the future as well for some more conversation. So thanks to everybody who joined us. Thanks to everybody so much who sent the hearts. Thank you, O'Neill, for the kind Thank words. You, Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, guys. And uh, 
We will see you all again very, very soon. Uh, the Dorian app will be back next week with more conversation. Feel free to try your own hand at your own complex relationship stories here on the Dorian app. And that oh, and check out, don't, is don't a wrap. Oh, check out story, too. It's coming out <coughs> second, oh, second episode. I'm sorry, I swear... Yes, that's right. It's the second episode. I swear I'm not trying to race off, but apparently I'm trying to choke to death live on oh, air. So I'm trying it. to avoid that, too. Um, thank you so much for everybody who showed up and participated in these discussion club series. And do join us again next week for the next one. Thank you so much. And bye, everybody. Y'all have a great evening. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. <laughs>